Hello, a rich tradition. And College football podcast is now live. I'm Spencer Van Horn. He's Robbie Stelton. Two friends, one love, and that is college football. Week five is in the books with plenty more uh, interesting and exciting things to go over. And so we'll get uh, started on that. Roberto, how are you, my friend? Spencer, I'm doing great. Great. I, yeah, I just I, really quick. So Sundays. So, you know, you and I, we used to not record on Sundays. You remember that? And <laughs> uh, yeah, it was just a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> every five e- weeks ago. <laughs> yeah. every, uh, every season, we would try to pack in, re- you know, review and preview all all in one episode in the middle of the week. And, you know, now that I've stepped away from um, my pastor job, uh, Sundays is, you know, when we do our, our, our recap episode. And so, like, I think the last two weeks I've figured out my routine now. Um, to where go to church in the morning, you know, yep. uh, go to lunch, yep. come home, um, maybe take a little nap with the yep. fam, mm-hmm. uh, but definitely try to watch, you know, maybe watch, catch one, one game or something from the NFL and then, uh, kind of hang out with the boy before he goes to Awana or Cubbies, which is like a, I don't know if you know what that is. Um, it's like, sounds like something for kids. Yeah, yeah, it's just like a children's church. That, it's like a children's church evening activity, mm-hmm. um, and he goes that, and then I work out while he's gone, and then I get ready, for, and and that right before we get we uh, we record, I'm I finish my workout and come on here, and I gotta tell you, man, I think this is the best routine I have because I am jacked and ready to go right now, and I am just at a high level, and I am just so excited to record with you because I think yesterday proves something to me, proves something to me at a Georgia level, but also a macro college football level for, for this upcoming season. And I'm ready to talk about it. So I'm, I'm ready. Okay. So I figure we'll save since Georgia played kind of a, I don't want to say a meaningful game, like the other ones weren't meaningful, but since this one was a a different kind of caliber and it was a different game, uh, we'll save that one for last. We'll go through everything else first. Uh, yeah, that sounds good because uh, I know that I have some friends um, who think that I am hypercritical about Georgia, so we, we can hash this out tonight. So, um, Did you want to do the um, let's get who's impressed you most? Oh, oh, yes, yes, yes. I'm so sorry. Let's, yeah, let's do our, let's do our uh, question of the week. Um, <clears throat> by the way, I, Spencer, just I know that we didn't talk about this off there. This is probably more of an off-air question, but what do you think of these questions of the week so far? Are you liking yes. them? Yep. Okay. I'm, I'm liking them a lot, and I think uh, that this is a fun uh, addition to the show. Okay, so pod, podcast question of the week um, is, who is that team that has surpassed your expectations so far? Um, now, I may have sent to you, I think I sent to you a shortened version of like who's been the most impressive, I think, or something like that. Um, but the, the responses, we, we got a few responses. Um, I need to grab my phone because one of my friends just texted me his his response. Um, but let's let's look at this. Um, so first is um, longtime listener of the show, Matt Sattler. Uh, he says, you know, I do love how I say who is that team that has surpassed expectations. And then every single person except for one uh, gives me multiple people. <laughs> but you know what? I appreciate the effort and, and the paying attention to college football, folks. All right, Matt. Sattler. Well, you know, college football is a little bit more complex than just one team. It is. You know? It is. It is more nuanced. There's hundred and thirty something teams out there. There is. That's that's a really good point. Um. All right. So, NFL. Yes, I will say. Like, I'm very curious to hear your answer because I don't think you'll be able to guess my answer. But all right. So Matt Sattler says Texas, Oregon, and Oklahoma. 
I had pretty low expectations. Uh, he is a huge Oregon fan that my ducks would be anything super relevant and the way they're looking, they may be in contention for a playoff spot. I highly agree with that. Look, Nick's looks great. Yes, he does. The line of scrimmage is immaculate. Uh, sure. Yes. At this point. Yes. Troy Franklin is an animal. Texas. We all knew was going to be good, but I was, I wasn't confident they'd keep the ball rolling. It's a good point. Um, and finally, Oklahoma is playing rolling. Dylan Gabriel isn't getting enough attention. Do you have anything to comment on that? I, I do have one thing to say, but I want to hear what you had to say first. Um, yeah, I don't know about Oklahoma rolling. I think mm-hmm. they've probably mm-hmm. they've been winning. I think yeah. they've mm-hmm. had games where they've looked good, especially this weekend. Um, but I do believe there are concerns about Dylan Gabriel. Um, uh, uh, maybe the. I got a buddy of mine who's a big Dolphins fan in the NFL, and he's always very adamant that we beat up on the bad teams, but we don't do very good against the good teams. Mm. And I think Dylan Gabriel might be in that category at the college football level that he's really good when it comes to going out there and beating up on uh, maybe teams that aren't ready, teams that they can outgun. But this coming weekend against Texas – uh, you know, we may see a, a different thing. Now, he didn't play in the game against Texas last year, and I thought maybe him being in that game would do a little bit better. Uh, they would do a little bit better. But I think there were some calls for concerns last year, and, and maybe this year there's been a couple of moments where things have not gone uh, as smoothly as they have at other times. So we'll uh, we'll see on Oklahoma. But, you know, hey, they're, you know, you put 50 points on somebody, so it, it feels good. Yeah, my, my my concern about Oklahoma is that we're seeing we're seeing early two thousands Oklahoma, the the teams that who don't have as good a talent as them they're able to just roll on, um, but then when they play opponents who are as equal or or you know close to maybe being better they kind they they don't know what to do with themselves that that is kind of what I'm worried about. Um, but I mean I could be com- I could be completely wrong because guess what Spencer we find out how good Oklahoma is this weekend. So, um, because it's the Red River, and we we will find out how good Oklahoma is after they were what was it fifty to nothing last year. Um, so, yeah, that that's that's my, my, that was the thing I wanted to comment on. It's just I I don't know how good I don't really know how good Oklahoma is because they have not played anybody of value yet. Um, all right, my friend David Bunkley, um, huge Miami Hurricanes fan. Um, he says it's still Duke. Even after last night, if they made those two chip field goals or just don't go go prevent on the last third and long and fourth and long, they probably win that game. Um, I, I mean, I think that's a good answer. I, I Last night's we'll talk more about Notre Dame and Duke in a minute, but I'll just give a heads up. Like I did not lose any respect for Duke or thinking of their quality. What sucks for them is that Riley Leonard's probably out for a month and thank God it's not for the year, but he's probably right. out for a month. So mm-hmm. that's the sucky part. Anything to add to that or no? Because I know uh, we're no, Duke, that game Duke's down. a good Duke's a good answer, and I think even at this point, you could still you could still uh, have Colorado as a as a candidate for this question. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then lastly, um, again, longtime listener Brennan Parker. Actually, I've got one more after this. Uh, Texas, they might be the favorite at the moment. Um, Washington and Oregon are up there as well. As for the SEC, Kentucky and Missouri are cooking it up right now. Um. Do you have any comment on that? Because I'll comment on one team. But do you have any nope. comment on that? Okay, nope. uh, I'll just say I, I don't think I, I, I don't think Kentucky is actually very good. Um, I think Missouri 
is the team that I think Missouri is the team that's that that can be mentioned here, like with actual some like clout of this team actually might be legitimately like a contender for for the SEC East. Um, but I I I don't know if we'll talk about Missouri, so I'll just say right here, <clears throat> um, Luther Burden might be the best wide receiver in the country, not named Marvin Harrison Jr. Mm-hmm. He is. He he is he is just dominating um, everybody. He, they they put him in the slot man, and Eli Eli Drinkwitz just puts him in a spot every time to be to be an open space, and, and they're they're just they're just playing they're they're playing very very well. Um, and so I'm very curious to see how Missouri ends up going. Um, Spencer and then my friend Cody, he said Washington and Duke. Uh, we already touched on Duke. Um, he said uh, Mike Michael Penix is elite, and they are just on fire. Completely agree. You and I have been talking about them for weeks now. Um, what, what, my, I, I think I texted him back and I said, I think Michael Michael Penix and Bo Nix might be two of the best, like, um, best comeback player stories that we've seen in a long time um, in college football. Um, all right, Spencer. So um, who, who's your answer for this? Yeah, I think I, I do like the – Colorado and and Duke mentions mm-hmm. um, sort of coming out of nowhere, and uh, West Virginia, I guess, could be a part of that mix as well. A, a team that didn't have a lot of expectations that's reached up, but um, uh, Washington and Oregon certainly have been impressive. That's how po- question was posed to me. So uh, those two teams seem to be the most dominant up to this point. Yeah. Uh, I know Washington had kind of a close game with Arizona, but. That Arizona group's a little more feisty than maybe most people would give them credit for. So, um, in terms of most impressive, Washington and Oregon probably, uh, Texas maybe in there as well with the with the big win over uh, Alabama and exposing them a little bit, and then yeah. um, Duke, Colorado, maybe even West Virginia as well. Okay, so actually, uh, when I thought of this question, I had one team in mind, and that team is actually who you just mentioned, West Virginia. Yeah. I, four, four and one now. Four and freaking one, man. And and Spencer, like we kind of we kind of randomly just like pick a team to kind of do this every now and then. Um, their over under was like four, four and a half on the year. They're already at four wins at the end of September. Let's kind of go through their schedule real quick and and kind of recalibrate for a second. Okay, so next and and also I just want to make mention they came back on TCU last night being down. I think they were down by three scores. They came back and won. Every starting DB, all four starting DBs left in either a stretch on a stretcher or in a boot. Every every single starting DB for West Virginia, and they still came back and won. Um, but Spencer, let's recalibrate here. All right, at Houston, they could win that game. Houston's I think, uh, I think two and three right now. Yeah, I think they. I think at this point they should win that that game versus Oklahoma State next. They have yeah. a bye week and then Oklahoma State. Yeah, they could probably win that game too. They'll have a real they'll have a real chance there. I mean, they're not yeah. scoring points yeah. out the wazoo, but they'll have a real chance there. They'll have right. a real chance everywhere. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. At UCF. Yeah, UCF just blew a big lead to, to Baylor. So I yeah. mean, it'll be on the road for West mm-hmm. Virginia for Houston and, and UCF. Uh, but sure, I mean, those right. are opportunities there. All right. Next home at home versus BYU. Things get tougher. 
UCF, yep. uh, BYU, Oklahoma. That that's a tough stretch there, especially okay. having to go to Orlando. Uh, BYU probably still a toss up game. Okay, and then like we'll go ahead and uh, we don't even have to talk about it at Oklahoma. We, we can chalk that up probably as a loss, but then at home versus Cincinnati, and then at Baylor, Spencer. Do you realize just by, based on this simple conversation? We have possibly painted a picture where West Virginia goes nine and three, even ten and two, if they go if if they get on a roll. Yeah, because if they were to let's just say they lose to UCF, or let's say they lose to UCF, BYU, and Oklahoma, that's still Mm -hmm. Houston, Oklahoma State. Yeah, that's still a a really nice stretch there. He's going to win Coach of the Year if he if he comes close to that, right? Like, and I'm talking about in the Big Twelve, right? Right. Ba- Baylor could be a, a, a tight game as well, but yeah, he's got an opening against Cincy. I think there's a chance to maybe knock off BYU, uh, upset them. I think there would be underdogs there, but a chance to maybe get a, a game against UCF. Houston and Oklahoma State are open, so yeah, um, West Virginia could uh, could surprise here. The word continue to surprise. That, that's just crazy to me, right? Like, Everyone thought everyone guaranteed almost guaranteed that Neil Brown was going to get fired. And now now there's legitimately a world where they could go eight and four. Yeah. And um, I mean, that's college football for you from time to time. We have absolutely we have those kinds of things pop up every once in a while. OK. All right. That's that's all. That's all I kind of want to do. Spencer, thank you. Th- thank you for all those who who uh, responded and gave an answer. Um, Spencer, go ahead and lead us where we're going. All right. So uh, games to discuss from. Saturday, we'll st- uh, stick with one of those surprise teams, Colorado, uh, with a big second-half push against USC. Made things very interesting down the stretch, 48-41. But uh, Caleb Williams continues to be this offense for USC, just continues to be um, overpowering. Everything Colorado did in the second half to kind of chip their way back into this game, USC had enough answers to the majority of it for – Uh, for them to pull away with the win. I think Colorado scored uh, a lot of points there in the fourth quarter, but ultimately the the Trojans did just enough to fend off all of the the big attack there from uh, from Colorado. Obviously, with a 34-point lead at halftime helps as well. So their 14 points in the third quarter was just enough to to hold Colorado at bay. Spencer, I I think – okay, so – Yes, I, I agree with you. Um, they, they uh, what's it called? Uh, USC did just enough. I, I just, I want to look at. I'm trying to be very quick here. I want to look at a couple of stats because I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to tell you that I, I did walk away from this game. Uh, two, two feelings. One, I was incredibly impressed by Shadur Sanders, who once again stands in that pocket, gets the crap beat out of him, and just continues to just, you know, just lead his team. Okay. Spencer, I just want to take take here. I, I'm, I got it all pulled up now. Colorado versus TCU. They ran for 55 yards, average 1.6 yards a carry. Um, against Nebraska, they ran for 58 yards, 1.8 yards per carry. Colorado State, they ran for 70 yards, 2.8 yards per carry. Then Spencer against Oregon, whew, 40 yards, 1.6 yards per carry. I think mm-hmm. you know where I'm going with this. Mm-hmm. Spencer, against USC, 
They ran for 193 yards and averaged 4.3 yards per carry, along with Shador Sanders throwing for 371 yards and four touchdowns. There is a problem, once again, with this USC defense. I'm sorry. I forgot. There is, once again, a problem with this Riley-led team and his defense. Lincoln Riley has copy and pasted his team from Oklahoma again. And that is what I walked away with that is so alarming to me. Because uh, yeah. I thought they were getting better. And, and, and we realized, no, they just haven't played anyone with really any skill talent at quarterback or the wide receivers up until this point. Yeah, Robin, if you even take away Shadur Sanders' lost yards on sacks, it's a 200-yard it's a day on the ground for – for the running backs Jeez. and for the way that they wanted to, you know, move the ball on the ground. So, um, obviously, you get credit for those those yards, you know, on sacks for uh, for for USC. But yeah, two uh, two hundred and twenty four yards total gained, thirty one loss yards. So that's one ninety three on the net for uh, for Colorado. So yeah, an impressive day for Colorado. I thought uh, the way the way that they chipped back into this ball game. Uh, they had a drive at the end of the first half that I think ate up, uh, what was it? It was uh, two minutes and 28 seconds. They went 83 yards on nine plays, and that was the Sanders 25-yard touchdown run with 21 seconds left on the clock. It's 34-14. There's a little bit of a, a little bit of a thought. Okay, we got some momentum. We got some things going uh, offensively. USC, though, like I mentioned, answered back beautifully. You okay? <laughs> That's per- no, that is okay. my five-year-old no, playing. Well, I thought for Sorry. some reason I thought maybe he was falling down the stairs or something. For no, a that second. is. I was like, is, oh my gosh. No, that is them just playing playing rough together. No, keep okay. going. I'm sorry, buddy. That, that's all right. I thought that, <laughs> that's the that is the that is the uh, what's it called the 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 after school director in you. Yeah, uh, exactly. I thought, oh lord, <laughs> he's stumbling down the stairs. Robbing a save the boy. Jeez no. Louise. Okay. No, so, <laughs> we're leaving this in. Uh, so uh, four, 34-14, get into the game. USC answers most of this, 41-14. Then they chip back in 41-21. USC, uh, Colorado does on a two-yard touchdown run. USC answers again, 48-21. And then it's, uh, you know, 48-27. And then the fourth quarter rolls around, and Colorado does some more things there and closes the gap 48-41. But it was that last possession where they ate up four minutes and 15 seconds Mm -hmm. off the clock, as well as the possession before that, three minutes and 58 seconds off the clock. So you're looking at almost eight total minutes on two touchdown drives. And Joel Clark was almost losing his mind over this, that he felt like – on especially that final drive, they, there was that, no urgency. Yeah, that there was just no urgency. Now, granted, a minute forty-three is still left in the ball game after that final touchdown, forty-eight forty-one, and maybe Colorado knows we're going to execute. We're going to focus on executing. We're going to focus on making these plays, and we're not going to panic. And we know we have to go for the uh, for the. Uh, you know, the onside kick and all of that. 
So we know that stuff is coming no matter how much time is left on the clock. We're going to – my only thought is we're going to just you know, zone in on executing these plays and actually getting down the field instead of trying to hurry up. That's the only thing that can make sense to me. But, yeah, they ate up a lot of time on those two drives in that fourth quarter. That, that sense of urgency wasn't there. Yeah, <clears throat> that, that was quite alarming. To be honest with you, um, I it was just poor time management, clock management. But you know what though? Like I, I'm gonna chalk that up to, you know, Deion Sanders has only been a head coach for what now four years. Yes, correct. All right, <laughs> that's a new one. Um, it, it just I don't know. It I'm gonna chalk that up to that right to it's his fourth year. He is still learning. On on he's still learning how to do this thing. Um, I mean, I'm not making excuses. Like it was poor. Like, um, well, if they get the onside kick, a minute forty three is enough time to to go down and score, and heck, maybe even get another onside kick. You know? Yeah, yeah. I, I feel like like I was mentioning. I think that they were being more intentional about let's make sure we're running the stuff we want to run. We're not shooting ourselves in the foot, and. Maybe that's where that was coming from is the only thing yeah. that I can think of. Can we can we can we just take a second though? And I, I would like to criticize the the commentating for that game. Did you get to listen to the commentator or, or like a lot or no? Uh I did hear oh, what's his name? Gus Johnson. Uh, the play, yeah, the play by play Gus Johnson say he caught a he catches a touchdown in the end zone. I did hear that, but that okay. was about the only thing that I heard, and that's a flub. You so, talk for four hours during the day, and you're going to make a mistake. No, 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 no. I, I don't, I don't care about the mistake. What I right. care about is the obvious bias that was going on in this game, as far as commentating. Now, it doesn't matter because USC was pretty much owning them from the very from the get go. However, that there were like when. Like USC catches interception, I think I can't remember if it was returned for a touchdown or not. But they catch an interception. Gus Johnson's like, "Oh no, no, it was when they blocked the punt." Like, block punts do not happen often in games. And Gus Johnson, I have heard go crazy for a thirty-yard field goal in the third quarter. Okay, however, a block punt occurs, and you just would have thought he was telling a class about math equations. Like there was no tone whatsoever. However, USC or uh uh. Colorado scores their first touchdown after after they're down like three scores and Gus Johnson you would have thought Shadur had just scored the like the touchdown to win the Super Bowl and then it continued to be like that there was just a constant biases in what was in the tone in how the game was being called and I'm sure you probably you know weren't paying attention to it but it it was just very frustrating to, to like to listen to because like Colorado is already getting enough like acclaim, rightfully so, because of what they've earned by what's on the field. We don't have to give obvious biases biases in in the commentating as well. Well, during a during a game, those guys, it's their job to be as neutral as possible. That's part of that role. Um, but Dan Patrick has talked about this a million times uh, to the point where I I can appreciate the honesty. But everybody at that national media, Gus Johnson, Joel Clapp, even though he's college football through and through, he is a national media 
college football pundit when he's in that role. Uh, but Dan Patrick has been very, very uh, staunch or, you know, clear about the fact that he's pulling for storylines. And the rest of the national media, I think, is pulling for storylines. Yeah. And so they're, it's coming out in their broadcasting when uh, LSU won the women's national championship over Iowa. There was something at the when they brought Angel Reese onto the onto the podium or the stage to talk to the ESPN crew. There were a couple of ladies on the stage who did whatever hand gesture that she did. They did as well, and they were celebrating with her. And it's one thing as a broadcaster to be happy for the people that you're covering. You've got a smile on your face. They've got a smile on their face. It's, you know, you can't help it. You're excited for what's taking place in front of you. Because no matter what, there there should be a cool storyline no matter what. But you can start to tell today, these days, that that's very much a thing. That they have a storyline that they're pulling for. They want to see particular athletes do well, particular coaches do well. They want to see those storylines continue, and I think that's very much uh, a part of what you witnessed there. And what was bothering you there was this sounds like two people who are in a position to be neutral. That's what I witnessed uh, with LSU and Iowa. Two, you know, people who are in a position to be neutral are not so much being neutral. I got a friend who gets so irritated with Tony Romo thinking that he's not neutral and uh it i think it's i think it's become more popular now i know i know more people or you can become aware of what national media members who their teams are they're wearing that stuff <clears throat> on their sleeves now and you know to some degree it's fine but the other degree it's sort of like you can tell they're pulling for these storylines because it's more yeah, interesting I, if Colorado does well. And and I get that. And and that's what I'm saying. Like I, I have had no problem with the uh, Colorado story. I don't like it either, to be to, to be clear. Yeah. Okay. All right. That, that okay. That, that's I where I was heading. I, down and yeah. go ahead. No, no, I, that that's where I was heading with this. I was gonna ask you just directly, like, are you a fan of this? Because I look for for those that don't know, Spencer for the last almost what, eight years now? Eight years. Eight, for the last eight years, Spencer has been the voice of the Valley State Blazers. So he would have to call games. And yes, there is a leaning of biases because uh, he's calling it for the radio station for the Valdosta State Blazers. But there's still this notion of commentating and having conjecture and having comments throughout the game that you would have. And I've listened to enough of your games to know while you, you will listen to this, but also there are times where you, you would be critical, not of play calling, not of the coaches, but like of a bad play, of a bad effort or, or something like that. And and so I know that you're a little privy to this to this kind of stuff. I just was I was just very caught off guard by how blatant it was because this is not like some fake fake um, these the the fake goggles that we have sometimes like towards commentators like as fans you know like so many Georgia fans think that certain commentators hate Georgia which is just not true but Gary like, Daniels yeah Gary Danielson hates Georgia which is just not 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 true at all um, but but that's what we that's what we put in our heads. That that's that's you know what we think, but that's just not that's not true. That's not how th these things work. Um, but but yesterday it was just blatantly obvious that they were buying into the storyline and give and Joe Clatt he went to Colorado, he played there, you know he is you know and so I I get why he would be. I just I I just really caught off guard by how much Gary Johnson 
was bought into it. Gus Johnson. Sorry, I don't know why I say Gary Johnson. Gus Johnson. Um, but we don't we don't have to talk about this any longer. Spencer. I just it was just something that kind of came up as as we were talking about this game. Um, where, where are we heading to now? Uh, the next game, Notre Dame Duke for all the points in USC Colorado. Notre Dame and Duke, <laughs> not so many points, but still a really uh, interesting ball game. Um, Duke had plenty of opportunities here, but hey, you know Notre Dame I think had plenty of opportunities here, and they were able to close out some. Uh, some chances there at the end. What a play on fourth down for Sam Hartman. Needed Dude, 16, yeah. got 17. Yeah, t- today today I am, like, I kind of am, I've got this same kind of constant narrative of quarterbacks who showed up when it was needed. And Sam Hartman, Shador did it for Colorado, you know, just by giving them a chance. I think Caleb Williams did it by just owning, taking over the game, especially in the first half. <clears throat> but Sam Hartman, you know, they did not have a great game. Overall, um, Notre Dame, the, like they, they were very frustrating. I, I'm sure, I imagine you've got some stats, you know, to share. But they were in the red zone, I think, three times and walked away with zero points. Um, or it was two times and walked away with zero points. Um, missed field goals, um, bad plays, and so like they left at least, you know, at, at maximum 14 points, at minimum six points on the board. And, you know, they walk, you walk in and they're up 10 nothing at half against Duke at home. But it was one of, or at, at Duke, but you, you felt this dread. Like you did not feel comfortable that Notre Dame was going to win this game because they weren't taking advantage of the situation. I mean, Sam Hartman only threw for 50, 50% completion percentage. He didn't throw for a touchdown. He averaged 7.4 yards, a, a, you know, reception. Um, and but then Spencer, like, then the second half happens, and Duke. I'm not saying they turned it on, but Duke kind of like started to gain momentum. So Riley Leonard, you know, who also threw under 50 percent, did not throw great, but just started making certain plays with his arm. And man, they, man, this was a battle, especially the second half. I think that's the best way to describe this game. The second half was just a battle. Um. And also, well, I'll let you see. I want to hear what you have to say, and then I want to add one other thing. Yeah, battle on the ground for sure. Um, 4.7 yards of carry for Duke, 5 yards of carry for Notre Dame. You really started to see that Duke was getting back into the ball game uh, on the ground. They had an opportunity for a little touchdown pass for Leonard as well that I think gave them the lead. And, again, that was set up by the ground game. So, um Yes, definitely a, a fun a, a fun ball game in its own way. But the the passing attack for both teams is, I think, kind of what what held them back a little bit here. Notre Dame got a little bit more out of Hartman, but Leonard was. I mean, he did throw his tu- that one touchdown, but it wasn't there wasn't a whole lot going on through the air in this ball game. And even Sam Hartman's biggest play is a rush for those 17 yards. So uh, I think if you're Notre Dame, you're, you're starting to feel a little bit concerned. Can we throw the ball against better defenses? And I don't know if it's Sam Hartman who can't throw. Is it the rest of the offense? Is there anything beyond Mitchell Evans that you can throw the football to? Yeah. And even then Mitchell well, Evans is just a big tight end. Do you I, have anybody dynamic? Okay. I, I'm so sorry. I wasn't trying to cut you off. I, I, you're, you're just heading at your, I didn't want you to get off this point. Cause I want to add something of context yeah, yeah. that I don't think we, I don't think a lot of people know 
is that Jaden Thomas, Jaden Greathouse, and Tobias Merriweather have been out. They've been out the last two weeks. Those are three of probably the most dynamic pass catchers that Notre Dame has, and they've been out the last two games. If you look at the top five receiving yards for this for this team, or top five in receiving yards on this team, those three are in the top five, and they haven't been here the last two weeks. Yeah, well, it's shown. Yeah, it has, and and you're absolutely right. Um, now, and I, and I'm not playing the what if game. I don't play it with Georgia. I'm not going to play it here with Notre Dame. But to your point, like. I, I think I think you just gotta. This is this like another game we'll talk about here in a little bit. It was ugly. You probably shouldn't have won, but you did win. And you kind of just gotta let that game kind of happen sometimes. As my former offensive line coach at Vados High School, Jerry Don Baker, used to say, "Sometimes your worst game has to be better than your opponent's best day." Yes, I thought about that earlier today. That football and even basketball, I think too, just. Any any sport where the two teams are going right at each other, if you're in terms of how they play the sport, um, yeah, sometimes my bad day just has to be better than than your bad day, uh, and I can I can go out and get the win. We can both play ugly, but if I play less ugly, then I uh, I can go and win. Absolutely. Um, I I think I'm trying. I can't remember their name schedule off the top of my head. I'm pulling up right now. Uh, they. They have a bye week. Yeah, they, they're off this week, and then they have Louisville. Um, so maybe they can get these guys back and healthy. Um, but I, I think this game is all about Sam Hartman. Like, this is why, you know, we. the funny thing is, like, just this past week, you and I talked about against their game against Ohio State. Excuse me, their game against Ohio State. We both criticized them, both criticized Notre Dame for leaning too much on the run and not letting Sam Hartman cook. And then in this game, I think they let Sam Hartman cook a little bit too much, and they didn't. They didn't use Estime. Um, Estime, and and that he only had 18 carries, Spencer, and I, I. That to me is not a lot when you have a running back as good as he is when he's averaging 4.5 yards a carry. Now, that is going to be a little skewed. Actually, because yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna do it correctly. It, it would be 17 carries for 51 yards. You need to give him more carries. You need to let him get, get going. And and I just don't think they did that enough uh, yesterday. I, I think the offense was just off completely. Yeah, 12 penalties for 70 yards will back you up, and it'll, and it'll put you in passing situations, um, and you're not able to run the football at that point, which I think might play a little bit into what you're talking about, uh, 18 carries for <coughs> Estime. Um, but then only five for Jordan Love or uh, Jeremiah Love, who's averaging 8.8 yards a carry. Yep. So um, you probably need to mix him in a little bit if you're going to be giving carries to other people. Uh, but overall, the point is, is it's hard to run the football when it's second and 15. And yes. that's what it sounds like it was a lot of the night. Or if a third and two turns into third and seven because of a penalty, 12 penalties for 70 yards it sounds like you were behind the chains plenty of the night and running situations turned into passing situations because you shot yourself in the foot. Absolutely. No, I, I, I still think this Notre Dame team has a chance to, to, to do great things. Um, but I, just like every other freaking team that we've seen this year, we, uh, you know, we need to see a complete game from them in a, in a big game. And, 
They have yet to play a complete game, but I, I just I just don't know how they can be until they get three of their five best pass catchers back. And and you know we don't I don't know off the top of my head I don't know when they're going to be back, but um I, I well, just I was going to say Merriweather did have four targets in this game, so maybe not, he's not all the way back uh, healthy, but he was on the field. Then it's not Merriweather that's hurt. Hold on, uh, it, it doesn't matter. I know that they have a third a third pass catcher. I know the other two are definitely out, but they have a third pass catcher that is out. The point still stands. Like they're they cannot rely on one massive tight end to throw to week in and week out. They did that last year, and it cost them. And you you, you want to do something big this year, Notre Dame? You, you got to get better. You, you just have to. Yep, you got you got to find more through the uh, through the air for sure, and and hopefully Duke will uh, will get good news on Riley Leonard going forward. He's obviously a big part of what they want to do as uh, they still have a special season out in front of them. I hate that for him, by the way. Ole Miss and LSU, a big shootout between these two teams. I think if you chose if you betted the over here uh, for Ole Miss and LSU, you probably did well. Um, 55-49 is the difference. I think I had it, or is the score. I had it written down that I think there were 26 total drives in this ball game. 15 of them were scoring drives. I think that's right. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so 16 of them were scoring drives. 14 were touchdown drives. So um, pretty impressive between uh, these two teams. They went back and forth. And what's also funny, Rob, is you had – um, three different quarters where one of the teams scored 21 points. I thought that that was pretty wild. It was a fast start for Ole Miss, 21-7 after the first. LSU jumps back into the ball game and uh, only trail, I think it's 31-28 at halftime. And then uh, 21 fourth quarter points from Ole Miss helps them to uh, helps them to win the ball game, 55-49. Um. A really good night from Jackson Dart. 26 of 39, mm-hmm. 389, four touchdowns. He added a rushing touchdown and uh, and 50 more yards on the ground as well. So it was a really good night from Jackson Dart, almost pulling a, a, a Jaden Daniels impersonation, not turning the ball over, rushing the football a little bit as well. He did um, He did very, very well on the night. He did. Um Especially when points are at a premium, and the one inter- the one turnover of the game, Ole Miss or excuse me, LSU's turnover, cost them points uh, and gave points to Ole Miss, and it's a you know it's a touchdown different game. So playing mistake free was very very important. Yeah, yeah. Really quick, Spencer, for our comment on that, it is uh, Jaden Thomas, Deion Colsey, Matt Salerno, and um, Merriweather for for Notre Dame that's out. Gotcha. I I had I, I needed to look that up because it was bothering me that I couldn't get that last person right. Anyway, um, no, I, th- this goes back to what I was saying a minute ago. Th- today or this week's games was moments for quarterbacks, and man, Jackson Dart just had moments, dude. Like he ha- has a 91, 91 QBR. He threw for twenty six thirty nine, like you already said. Like just the plays that he made, and then adding on fifty yards rushing and a touchdown. That final drive just to take man to take the lead at home to just do something that no one really thought of you to do. And and also may give credit to give credit to uh Lane Kiffin, 
who walked into this game and said to himself, we are not going to punt and we are not going to settle for uh, for uh, field goals. We, we are going to and, and that was even for two point conversions. We are go- like he knew he was going to be in a shootout. He knew his pass defense was not going to be very good. So they sold out to stop. They, they sold out to try to just put pressure on Jaden Daniels, who I, I would argue had one of the best games he's had all year Threw for 414 yards, ran for 99 yards. It it was just a old school shootout type game, and Spencer, like, can you think of a bigger win for Lane Kiffin than this one? Yeah, he, that's the, that's been kind of the one thing he's been missing. He's had all the yards. He's had some really great performances. Uh, he obviously had a, a an NFL. I think at least got a look at the NFL caliber quarterback and. Matt Corral is is he on he's on the Panthers roster I believe it is so yeah an NFL quarterback uh, in Matt Corral uh, so he's had a lot of things there he's needed a win though and this mm-hmm. is certainly yes I think this would certainly be uh, the win and you mentioned coming down to the end for Jackson Dart he played really well all throughout the night Jaden Daniels played well all throughout the night except for that final drive I had it written down I think just one of five on that final drive to try to get down the field. It was his one completion though, was 42 yards. So, you know, even in that small little sample, the, the one completion 42 yards gives them a chance. He has several throws to the end zone there at the end and almost makes the last one. It hits the receiver in the hands. He's just not able to come up with it. So, um, really incredible performance by both quarterbacks and give Ole Miss the credit. They've, they found a stop on defense. It took them all game long, but um, they found not only – I say all game long. I should correct myself. They they found the stops they needed. They got one early with the fumble, turned that into a touchdown, and then they got um, maybe even a field goal. I think they forced a field goal at one point for, uh, for LSU, and then obviously the stop there at the very end of the ballgame. So um, LSU's defense gets a, a few wins in this ballgame individually. So um, helps them helps them figure it out. Spencer, like all kudos again to, to Ole Miss. Uh, it was so great to see Judkins get to go off. I, I guess maybe I know he's been battling injury. I guess hopefully like he's he's back to form because man he looked good. I, I need to I need to ask a question, and and I don't really like to be I I, I don't want to sound negative, but is Brian Kelly just kind of having a bad year? Like I know they've only lost two games. But that defensive backfield, Spencer, is not good. And their offensive line play at times is very, very not good. I don't think this is the last loss or maybe two for LSU right now. Yeah, you're, you're obviously in a position where you're wasting a really special offense. And not yeah. wasting, but you're just missing an opportunity. Yeah. The thing that's in Brian Kelly's defense is this is only his second year and you can't replace – the entire defensive backfield in one year. Um, now, sure, Colorado and, and USC have done great in the transfer portal, but neither one of those teams have excellent defenses right now. So, um, you, especially when you're playing at the top of the league or at, at in one of the top leagues, in one of the most talented, rich port areas of the country, everybody's biting for people. You can do some impressive things through the transfer portal, 
I don't think, and, and Bud Elliott's blue chip ratio has even proven, you're not turning yourself into a championship team through the blue chip rate, uh, through the transfer portal. At least not yet, you're not. So, yeah, it's it's tough to find players, and I think LSU right now just doesn't have players in their defensive backfield. They're just going to have to build that and hope for a big enough improvement next year that, you know, that they can they can come through. Because Garrett Nussmeyer should continue this offensive this offensive performance for them the way that it's going once Jaden leaves for the NFL. But yeah, you you just have to find players, and right now I I don't think LSU has players. Yeah, I. And you know, and they've got some injuries. I'll give them, you know, give them that. They've got some injuries mm-hmm. on, on, in defensive backfield, so much so that they're having to play. <clears throat> they're having to play freshmen. They're having to play a transfer they didn't want to play because he's been an issue in the locker room. Like th- they've got, they've got stuff all over the board to worry about. But I, I don't think this is the last loss or two of this LSU team. All right, Spencer. Um, what's next? What's the next game? Georgia and Auburn from. The weekend, a 27-20 victory for the Dogs. Another ball game of kind of having to turn things on in the second half. Slow first half, although it is tied at uh, halftime at uh, 10 apiece. But uh, either way, not uh, not a number one team in the country kind of performance. Although Auburn does get some credit for being good defensively. Yeah, Um Absolutely. Uh, Spencer, how do you want to start this? Do you, do you want to talk about the positives that can be pulled from this? Because there are several positives. Or do you want to kind of talk about the concerns? Well, let's uh, let's go good news okay. before bad right. news. So right. Yeah, let's get the candy in for the medicine. Um, okay, yep. All right, so uh, I, I, think, I think this is the game. To me, this is the Carson Beck game. And what I mean by that, this is the game where the team and the fans should unanimously get behind Carson Beck. I'm not saying people were talking about getting him benched what i'm talking about is there was this cast of of kind of like i don't know can he really can he really lead this team when it's needed can he really be the guy when it's needed and spencer i think he showed unanimously that he can't he had because i went back and rewatched the game he he has a total of three really bad throws in this game one was one was the wide open Oscar Delp down the field on the first drive. He just he he should have put some air under the ball and let Oscar Delp run for a touchdown, you know, while it's floating. Two was obviously like the interception that he threw. I, I am not calling that a bad throw. I'm calling that a bad call on not it being on, on it not being offensive pass or defensive pass interference. Because the replay easily shows that the the defensive player engaged physically with the receiver from his back before the ball was even close to being there. And that should have been a PI. Um, so that's not the bad call there. There is a bad, there is a bad screen that he throws that, that should have been picked off. And then there's another bad throw, but he is getting hit and it was a bad choice that he let that ball go. Cause as if you remember, it's the, the play that could have been another interception in the fourth quarter. I don't know if you remember that off the top of your head. I do. Um, okay, so those are the three bad throws. The rest of the time, Spencer, he really did have really uh, – he made really, really good decisions down the field. And he tried to push the ball down the field. Players were open constantly. And the the, the running game just – I'll get to the concern in a minute. Uh, the, the pass blocking was incredible too. 
I don't know if you paid if you noticed that as well, but I there were zero sacks on the game. Uh, he wasn't really pressured a whole lot. There were three plays that I remember where he he had to scramble a little bit, or he chose to he chose to tuck and run because just there was pressure getting to him. But the offensive line did a great job in pass pro um, in that game, which is not surprising because they've been so good these last three years at, at pass protection. Um, do you have anything to add? I I, I don't want to cut you off. I, I want to make sure this collaboration here. Do you have anything to add before I keep going? Yeah, no, second half was was brilliant. Eight of ten for eighty-eight yards in the third quarter, eight of ten for hundred and forty-eight yards in the fourth quarter. So that's sixteen of twenty for two thirty-six and a touchdown uh in that uh in that second half of the ball game. And I think the only reason or one of the big reasons that Brock Bowers comes to life, eight catches for 157 yards, and a good chunk of that is in the fourth quarter, four for one twenty-two. I think a big part of him being so good in the fourth has to do with the fact that Beck is able to find other people in the third and other portions of the fourth quarter. They had him, they had him wrapped up in the first half. They were coming in hot. They were ready to go to Bowers when Bowers was getting the football, tackle him, bringing plenty of people to the ball to pull him down because they knew he was going to be a load and Auburn was ready for it. They had something dedicated to it. So, Beck had to find other people and did. Rosemi Jack Saint came through. Obviously, big third down catches, several big third down catches for Lad McConkey. So uh, Ra Ra Thomas. Back. Yep. Very good. Ra Ra Thomas had a couple of big catches as well, including what you and I called Beck's best throw of the year, a little underneath thing that Ra Ra caught for a first down while he was being uh, blistered in the face by a defender. God, what a so, play. Just yep. such a freaking. Awesome play. Keep going, sorry. Next next, uh, next one or two plays is, is a touchdown. So uh, really nice performance there from, from Beck in the second half. Specifically, finding other pieces, making Auburn have to figure things out. There's one of those plays to, uh, um, to Bowers, and it might be the 40-yard touchdown play where the defenders just all move away from him. They all go in different directions, and he's completely lost in terms of their their assignments. And he's just wide stinking open over the middle of the field because everybody's running into different positions. And I think that has everything to do with Del, uh, with with Beck finding other people throughout the ball game and um, and that forcing the defense to to account for those other people. Uh, absolutely. I, I think I think also like it was I I have been you know you heard me the last two weeks be very defending very, I've been very defending of Mike Bobo. Uh, I I will say that this is probably the first game where I would just question some things, um, certain play calls at certain times. I mean, I, I I try to I try to do what Josh Pate does and and not question play calling too much because these guys are way smarter than I'll ever be when it comes to football. They know things way better than I do. But but there there were just several like head scratching plays at times that I didn't understand. I think that's probably, I, I'm not going to criticize them. I just didn't understand. Um, and, 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 and so, especially when we found out that we had so many tight ends back, like, you know, having lucky back and having, um, uh, crap muffin. Um, the other tight end that's been injured most of the year. Any, anyway, ha- having him back, 
it was very awesome to see. It was very awesome to to continue to see Beck grow, to see the offensive line pass block. To me, you know what? Also, it was it was awesome to see freaking our defense at times. Like, yes, they they bent a little bit, but you know what? They didn't break. Kamari Lassiter legitimately probably had two of the most important plays on defense yesterday. And you you know what I'm talking about? Like the the as the the player is catching this ball on this massive third down and he just knocks the ball out of his hands. Yeah, the defender, the receiver's falling down. It's a big, yeah, it's a big third down. Yeah, mm-hmm. they're just, just such a, just such a big, a, a big, like big play by him. Um, actually, I think that was Everett. Uh, it was, yeah, it was Dalen Everett. Um, who does that? Like he has, he had two of the biggest pass deflections of the game. Javon Bullard. It was so good to have him back. Um, you know, and and, and overall, this is one of those like just big kind of get in and get out grit type games. I mean, would you agree with that? Yeah, absolutely. And the only two touchdowns that they scored were off of the turnovers. Absolutely. And that that is that is such a positive to look at that the the only times that Auburn really the only times that Auburn actually scored were when when Georgia put them in a position when Georgia made bad execution of a play to put them in, you know, put them there, uh, put Auburn there. And Give them short field, and you gotta give. You, you really do gotta give um, Auburn credit for dialing up plays and massive misdirections and motions to keep Georgia's young defenders their eyes, trying to keep them paying attention. And you know, at, at times we'll talk more about this in a second, but that there were times where Auburn was able to take advantage and get some misdirection, and Georgia not setting the edge very well at times. And 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 just again, give give Hugh Freeze credit. For being able to take advantage of that, but you know, you held you held an SEC quarterback to 82 yards passing and an interception. You held him also to only only connecting with four different receivers in a game at Auburn, which Georgia still continues to own. They're 16 and three in the last 19 19 matchups against them, and, you know, and and that was awesome to see. Do you have anything else positive to say? Oh, also, the yeah. kicking was really good. Keep going. Yeah, well, I, I thought Auburn defended, or uh, Georgia, outside of a couple of plays, Georgia defended the run a lot better than the overall stats indicate as well. That 61-yard play for Thornton was about all there really was, and there were a couple of big plays for Hunter, or you know, one one or two big plays for Hunter, and then the quarterback run for Ashford uh, was was effective a few times as well. But Georgia, you know, bowed up like you mentioned, Ben, but don't break. And uh, and that was very much there uh, a good portion of the night. I think it was 3.7 yards a carry outside of the if you were to take away the 61 yard run from Peyton Thorne, the 219 drops down significantly and it becomes I had it written down, but I think I put it on a different sheet of paper. Either way, uh, it becomes just 3.7 yards a carry. So I thought the dogs did a pretty good job of being effective taking away that outside play that they were going to and having success with uh, early on. Uh, the defensive adjustments continue to be very impressive. Yes. Agreed. Um, also, let me, let me just ask you a blunt question, Spencer. Blunt question. Do you think Georgia right now, and again, I know I know what your answer could be, but <laughs> I, I just want you to give me a blunt answer right now. Try to, try to get it to be honest. Do you think this Georgia team could win a national championship? No. Okay. 
Now, go ahead. If, if we had go, to go, play go, go, a go. Texas, an Ohio State right now, I, I don't know. I, I, I don't feel good about it. Okay. Washington, now, Oregon, don't feel good about it. Agreed. And, and, and I know I know what you could say. They don't have to play for a national championship right now, right? Is they that absolutely don't have to do that. <laughs> yes. Okay. You're 100% correct. They <laughs> yeah. do not have to do that. It's only I, week five. I just know you so well. Like I, I knew that's what what you would w- want to say. That's but what I wanted to say. Yes, I, I know. I know. I played your game correctly. Thank you. I, 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 I don't think so either. Um, but I, I again, I don't know. I, I don't. They don't have to, right? They, they've got to worry about Kentucky this weekend. So, the, let me ask you this: If we're going to make an SV, you know, an S SVH poll, would you have Georgia number one? No, probably not. I, I would be I would be fine with them not being number one. If no, I'm asking you. If you would, I make them poll, number one. Yes. No. Where would you have them? Uh, five, maybe four. Okay. I'm not I'm not overwhelmed with uh with with pushing them down too far. Yes. Yeah. Agreed. And I'm not. I'm like I said. I'm fine with taking them out of the number one spot. I'd be fine with pushing them down to five. You, I'm sure, and I don't have it in front of me, but um, I'm sure there are there are other uh, other teams that you can make arguments for to be in you know a higher position. Just trying to get to that Brett McMurphy poll that I looked at a few uh, a little while ago. Yeah, so if you Ohio, he has Ohio State or excuse me Georgia at three. If you wanted to go Ohio State ahead, okay. Washington ahead, I'm fine with that. So if you wanted to put Georgia all the way down at five, I'd be fine there. But if we're moving Georgia to five, I'm moving Washington ahead of Ohio State. And if you wanted to put Michigan ahead of us, fine. I don't think you're putting Penn State ahead of us. If you, in continuing this thought, I'd be putting Oregon ahead of Penn State. And if you wanted to go Oregon ahead of Georgia, Okay, I, I don't think I'd go any lower than seven with Georgia right now. I think that's right, seven or eight with Georgia right now. Yeah, I, I did. You know, thinking about this, do, I, I'm about to go through some stats that I want. I want to share with you, and just some something that I kind of think about the overall picture of college football this year. I, I would probably put three teams ahead of Georgia right now. Um, like in a wrestle with a fourth team, but I would probably put them fourth. I would probably in, in, in no order. I'm just saying I would probably put Florida State, Washington, and 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 probably Ohio State ahead of Georgia right now, because I I legitimately think that those three teams could beat Georgia, and and that that that's kind of where I'm at right now. Like and and again, it could all change in a week. If Georgia goes in next week and thumps Kentucky the way that I kind of kind of thinking that they're going to, if this game means as much as it should, like I, then then all, all, all you know, then as some people like to say, Natty's back on, you, you know, <laughs> <laughs> like like we, we can get there. But uh, Spencer, let, let me let's let's talk about some of my concerns that that I have about and, and reservations. I it, it is not. I'm not hating on this team, but Spencer, I understand that this team is not the 2021 team and not the 2022 team. However, if I'm going to view this team like I do Michigan, like I do Texas, Ohio State, Florida State, Penn State, Washington, and Oregon, if I'm going to look at those these teams as national championship contenders, I need to be critical. We need to be critical of them. We we need to kind of nitpick, especially when you're talking about a team that potentially could go for a three-peat. 
which is has not been done again since the Great Depression, you know, since since World War II, you know, uh, like, and so I, I'm not trying to come across as some like super hater because I, I love Georgia. I I freaking am so happy they won this past weekend, but when we look at when we look at the things that are starting to show, and this is the fifth game in a row now, where Georgia has kind of been sluggish again. And 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 the reason why I have to com- uh, the reason why I'm comparing it to UT Martin, Ball State, South Carolina, and UAB. The reason why I'm comparing the five with this or the other four this game is because this is a rivalry game. This is on the road, like this is a a game a big game. This is not some like this is not at Vandy. This is at Auburn in the Plains, and a, just another slow start takes an Auburn team who is view, who just got shellacked the week before, who hadn't really played many people. They scored 10 points on Cal. Like, I'm sorry, 14 points on Cal. And and, and Georgia kind of gave, kind of kind of at times was suspect on defense to and like you and you fairly pointed out, it was it was only just off turnovers. And that's fine, but you can still win game, you can still lose games because you have a turnover and give a team short field. Slow start against South Carolina. Slow start against UAB. Like I'll, I won't count UT Martin and Ball State. I'll just look at the last two games. These slow starts. It, like at what point, Spencer? Is it just oh Georgia playing with its food, and then it being a trend, and it being who this team is? Like how? Like I want to ask you that question for for I keep going, but like, are are you starting to see it as a concern, or do you are you not there yet? How many games do you and this is do you remember how many times TCU had to come from behind to win games last year? Uh it was 6. 6. You're you're confident in that number? Uh, I fair, fairly confident. Okay. Now 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 coming from behind is is I'm not saying fourth quarter behind. I'm saying at some point in the game they were behind. I believe it was like I think it was 6 times last year. Yeah. So I think we're nearing trending position because I think TCU too many times last year found themselves having to play from behind and that fighter thing that they wanted to go through or that they, you know, wanted to ring the bell on and, you know, Hey, this is our flag and we're waving it. We're fighting and we just don't give up and all that stuff. It's fun. It's cool to have that. It's nice to be able to do that when you need to, um, but maybe it six times. That's almost that's half your schedule. That's half your games that you're playing from behind in. Yes, that could be an issue. And I think if you wanted to look at it from that standpoint, and obviously they got down really big at halftime against Georgia, and you know it was you you do that enough times and you can't come back. You do that against the right people and you can't come back. You continue to have issues with slow starts. Somebody is going to take advantage of it. A Tennessee that can go off for points. You know, again, Auburn, not a, not a big scoring threat. You mentioned that Tennessee can go off for points. Missouri knows how to fling it around now. Who knows? So I, to answer your question directly, it's becoming a, a, a part of who this team is, they've got to shake it really quick. They do. And and here's kind of why. I want to take you back. Like, everybody keeps talking about, you know, they want this game, this season to be like 2007. I don't think that's going to be what it is. Um, because in 2007, we had a lot of upsets. 
we're not seeing a lot of upsets, Spencer. We're, we, what we're seeing is that the top tier has come down a little bit to the middle tier. There is still a tier. There is still a separation, but it's just not as it's just not as big. And I want to take you back to the year 2014. Okay, uh, this is nine years ago. Okay, uh, a younger Robbie was teaching at Hopewell Middle School. You were still doing radio and calling games for the VSU Blazers. But this year is a year specifically. It it correlates because it's the Florida. It's Florida State. Florida State is coming off a national title where they beat Auburn. And I don't know if you remember this year. I think you actually probably will remember, and you'll see where I'm going with this. But the heavy criticism of the Florida State team that year coming, you know, they were picked, they were the favorites to win, but they had lost so much um, from that talented team. Like, I think it ends up being like 14 or 15 players ended up getting drafted between the two years um, into the NFL because they just had dudes everywhere. And they were led by Jameis Winston. They come into their back-to-back year, you know, to the second year, and they're, they're kind of picked to repeat. But Spencer, it started off with week one where they struggled with Oklahoma State. An Oklahoma State team that would go on to to have a seven and six record. Then they struggled, and the, and also in this year they struggled against Notre Dame, who would go on to have the same seven and five schedule. And they played with their food week in and week out. For, I mean, for the most part, they had that they struggled. All, they had a nail biter, like I said, against Oklahoma State, against Clemson that year, who who was not elite that year. Notre Dame. Also had a nail-biter against Miami, at Miami, back in 2014 when they weren't good. And then they also, the next year, the next week, they struggled against Boston College and only won by three points. And they struggled the next week at home against Florida in 2014 and won by one score as well. And then the best team, one of the best teams on their schedule, and and people were like, everything's fine, everything's good, was the ACC championship against Georgia Tech. And if you remember, Spencer, that was the, that was the game where Georgia Tech almost came back on them. In the in the final minutes of the game, and and everyone's like, oh, you know, it's okay. They're battle tested, you know, they're battle tested. Do you remember what happened in the first round of the playoff when they played a legitimate team that year? Got smoked. They got smoked, fifty nine to twenty against a, a a West Coast team who had a very dynamic offense and a really good quarterback at the University of Oregon named Marcus Mariota, and they lost fifty nine to twenty. And this is not just say, oh, they were only offense heavy. FSU was offensive and defensive heavy. They were supposed to have been a great team offensively and defensively. Now, I am not saying this is what's going to happen to Georgia. What I'm saying is, is that we need to make sure, and while I'm critical, I'm critical because I'm a, I'm afraid we're going to end up having a repeat of 2014. And I think that's kind of where we are right now, Spencer, because if you remember that year, there were – Everyone had one loss besides one team, and that was FSU. Alabama went in 12-1, Oregon 12-1, FSU was 13-0, Ohio State 12-1, Baylor 11-1, TCU 11-1. All these teams had one or two losses in the top 10, and so everyone everyone like had had scars. No one, there was no perfect team, but then we see the third-string uh, Ohio State third-string quarterback – um, who I can't remember his name at the top of my head. I'm sure you'll remember. Cordell it. Jones. Thank you. Cordell Jones goes off and leads him to a national title. But, but Spencer, I, I'm kind of getting the feeling that that's the kind of year we're going to have is a repeat of 2014 where there are t- no team is perfect, but some teams get exposed. And I'm just hoping 
that Georgia doesn't end up being like the Bama who got exposed against Ohio State or the FSU team who got exposed by Oregon in the playoff. Because there is a problem with the running game. There, there is a legitimate – you could not – you only ran for 107 yards, averaging 3.6 yards per carry. You the, the, Like this Georgia team is just not able to run the ball, and it's not because of the running backs. Like, yes, we can talk about the running backs not being great, you know, but that doesn't matter when the offensive line doesn't even give them time to get the ball. Georgia is only averaging 148 yards a game, Spencer, rushing. They're 79th in the country, and they have only played two power, two power five opponents in five weeks. That is a problem. The defense is having trouble setting the edge. Georgia is 17th in the country, um, or I'm sorry, they're 14th in the country, only giving up 13 points a game. I'm happy with that, but they're, but they're giving up more rushing yards than people feel comfortable with, which I agree with that. But I, I again, I'm not saying this Georgia team can't win a national title. I, I, I absolutely think they eventually can. They don't have to play it next week. They're playing Kentucky at home at night. They can win that game. They can win out on their schedule. But Spencer, you tell me, like you, like you just said a minute ago, you give me one of these top three or four other teams. I don't know if I'm picking Georgia to win with how they're playing right now. Because there are times when they're dominant and they look incredible. But they are also splitting time with that with also the time where they're choking and not putting things together. And as someone said, my, my buddy who works at Georgia said, we're not executing the game plan properly. And our leadership from these younger players are not doing what in years past what other players have done. That is why I'm concerned. Well, that last line there is uh, is the most meaningful to me uh, in terms of. You know, if your leadership is having a hard time finding its footing, do they find their footing? Uh, you and know, this maybe, game could maybe be that. They, yeah, maybe they do. Maybe Carson Beck in the the second half that he had is a necessary step to to helping to become a leader. But sometimes you got it. You have. I think teams, from my experience with VSU and in a twenty eighteen undefeated national championship team, um. 14 and 0 I think it was yeah 14 and 0 uh you have to you got to have guys who are vocal I think you got to have guys that are going to grab other guys by the face mask that doesn't have to be your quarterback who does that that way cuz our and, quarterback and, and, that year didn't do it that and, way and Carson Beck's not going to be that and that's what people need to understand too I, I want to hear your point I just want to mention that sure Carson Beck uh, is not the vocal leader that Stetson Bennett was Right, and you you go back to that Ohio State game, or maybe it was the you go back to one of those games where somebody missed a play on on defense. I guess it was Nolan Smith. Maybe it was Alabama game. Either way, somebody missed a play on defense, and Nolan just ripped through this guy on the field almost before the play even happened. Just went bonkers on this guy, and then the very next play, that guy comes back and makes a makes a big stop uh, against Alabama, I believe it was. So um, sometimes you have to have guys that are fiery and that are in everybody's face, and sometimes it's your top guy. For us that year, uh, for VSU, it was a fullback who was in on every play. He was a starter for us, a fullback, H-back kind of thing, but he was not the most productive guy on the team. And another one was uh, our starting safety. And then another one was a starting defensive end. So it was starters, 
but they weren't they weren't the the statistical leaders of the team. This past go around, we had those statistical leaders were seniors. And I think because they played, you know, freshman roles that year and they kind of just got to do their thing that maybe that their leadership growth didn't happen the way maybe the program needed it to. And that's not a knock on those guys because those guys, a lot of those guys had to deal with three different head coaches. And so there's, you know, there's a lot of different things that can happen there. But the overall point is, yeah, sometimes you just might not find your senior leadership. It's happened to Alabama. Um, it can happen to other programs as well that you have enough leadership to be really, really good and to get to the playoff and to be undefeated like Florida State maybe did that year. You have enough leadership. But do you have do you have the most to get over the to get over the hump? And uh, that could be the most concerning thing for Georgia right now is if leaders aren't finding their way. And and I do think that I do think it's it's offensive and defensive. But I, but Spencer, I here's and you know and health health can be part of it too. Like I'm I, I don't. I yeah, Georgia's think, obviously missing a lot yeah, in the yeah, backfield. Yeah, and it's it's not doom and gloom. Like that's not what I'm trying to say here. And I think you and I have made that very clear, right? Like I think we've. It's just who who's going to step up in that first quarter and get in someone's face when the assignment's not done correctly. And you know, you know, I talked I talked to my you know buddy pretty extensively today, and and one of, one of the things that he said was just like, man, it just at times there doesn't there doesn't seem to be a lot of trust in each other in, in everyone doing their job. No one's, no one's doubting skill and ability. It's, I don't know. I, I don't know if I, especially on the defensive side of the ball, when it comes to setting the edge and our linebackers, just not being in the best position, it's, it's a trust thing. It's overcompensating because you're not trusting the player in front of you to do their job. Now, I think that we may have the best defensive backfield Kirby's ever had, and that has shown at times, but I just, I think this team is incredibly talented but Georgia fans need to start getting ready for, like, if they struggle this weekend again, if they lose this weekend, I, I don't know. I don't know what I don't know what the media talk is going to be like. But we're probably not going to like it because there's because it's two years of being dominant. Georgia has not lost in 665 days. That that or 60, 666 days. I don't like that number, but but like, you know, like it, it's been an incredible run, and I'm not saying it's over by any means. But like you, like you and I have both alluded to, it it ha- this trend has to stop before it becomes a character trait. So that's that's all I have to add to that. I know it's time to clear the notebook, but Spencer, do you have anything to add, or or are you 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 good there? Uh, there's time. That would be the the last piece of the the, the, the puzzle for me. Um, but yes, definitely some things to figure out for sure. All right. Uh, do you want? Do you have any particular spot that you wanted to go in the notebook? I, I, I kind of only care about a couple more games. I, I, I don't know what you have on your notebook, but my, mine really kind of just is two, two, maybe two games. One is Texas A&M. Um, I know it's Arkansas. I know that most people don't real like don't consider this a big game. This game is known for being crazy. We mentioned that last week when we were or the last episode when we were picking this game. Um I Spencer, I 
there's a world in which I think that A&M could, could, could win the SEC if their defensive front continues to play like they like they played against Arkansas. Now, Arkansas's offensive line isn't the greatest, so I'm not giving too much credit, but I was just very it was very awesome to see this defensive front that Texas A&M has bought the last 3 years to finally come together and be able to kind of handle at times Arkansas's front front uh you know, offensive line. But the bigger takeaway was I just really enjoyed seeing Max Johnson, another quarterback game take over at times and put the ball in space for his players to, to do something with it. I, A&M still has issues. No one's perfect. No team that we've ever, that we've talked about at all this year is perfect. But I just, again, I, I was really just kind of impressed with Max Johnson and A&M's effort in that game. Yeah, it is. Uh, it, it is. You feel like Texas A&M is growing into what they want to be. Um, even though it was not Connor Wegman out there, Max Johnson came through. I think you, if you're Arkansas, you you're you're pretty bummed, mm-hmm. and I think maybe some of the bumness is switching, you know, your offensive philosophies. Yeah, that and it's coming back to my mind as being something that you're like, oh, that's got to be, you're you don't have, do you have the personnel? for what the new thing wants to do. Are you approaching this the right way? Did these guys fit into the Kenny Dillingham system better than they're fitting into what they're in now? So yeah, I'm, you know, sort of a a more balanced approach than what they were before. So yeah, it's, um, it's kind of bumming me out a little bit for Arkansas. I feel like maybe some missed on a hire. Maybe. Yeah. Um, speaking of that, two things. One, I think we were right. I mean, I think you kind of w- will agree with this now. Um, I I think Arkansas is just going to be that team that just plays teams really close but loses still. Mm-hmm. Um, and I hate that for KJ Jefferson for sure. Me too. I like I I if KJ Jefferson like I don't I, I think Carson Beck is a great quarterback, but if KJ Jefferson was my quarterback, like I I don't I. I just feel like because he is such a vocal leader and he is so talented, I think George will be decimating people right now. But but that that's that's beside the point. I, 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 I'm not that's not anti Beck. It's more of just a praise for KJ Jefferson Spencer. I didn't know this until I heard this on a podcast recently. Um, if if Ala, if Arkansas at the end of the year decides they want to fire Sam Pittman, his buyout is significantly cheaper if he has a losing record. Ooh. Just just keep that in mind. Yeah, sure. Um, I don't think Sam Pittman. I don't think Sam Pittman is the problem. I think what you just said is the problem. He made. I think he made a bad hire. I think he had a culture issue last year, and he t- he he got he got his guy out of there. You know, um, but I don't think that this might have been the best hire either. But I I, I just uh, we know Arkansas can be a good program. We've seen them be a good program in the last 10, 15 years. We've seen them compete for SEC titles. We've seen them give give you know Alabama all they can handle you know in the last 10 years. I I just I hate that for Sam Pittman. But um, anyway, uh, Spencer, the uh, the other game, uh, I don't know if it's a game. Just I want to make mention of Missouri. Missouri might be really freaking good. People should pay attention to that. Um, uh, Cook, their quarterback, is is legit. Spencer, I, I'm gonna. I can't believe I'm doing this. I'm gonna defend Michigan for a second because Michigan handled business. They are the first. Like I don't know if you knew this, but Georgia and uh, Georgia and Michigan heading into this weekend were the only two top ten teams who have yet to cover a spread. And Michigan finally covered a spread this weekend. Georgia still has yet to cover a spread um, this season. 
But Spencer, here's the stat that blew me away that made me just kind of say, you know what? Maybe we're being a little too harsh on Michigan. Michigan has yet to allow a team to be in a goal-to-go situation. (laughs) That's pretty cool. Again, repeat. They have yet to allow any team to have a first down within 10 yards of the end zone. Now, of course, they've given up touchdowns. But they their defense is so stout this year so far, they've yet to allow anyone to have a goal to go. And I just thought that was impressive. Um, so I don't, I don't really have anything. Uh, I, I, I'll just say this. I hated the fact that da- Daniels didn't get to play against Texas. That sucked. Um, but other than that, man, I'm, I'm, I'm spent. I ain't got nothing else. Yeah, uh, we talked about um, uh, A&M. Uh, Texas, I think, did a really nice job pulling away this weekend in a game that maybe, you know, you might could see them having continued trouble with Kansas in a situation like that, where Kansas sort of, you know, throws some punches early on and Texas never really regains their balance and it's a wonky game the rest of the way. I mean, you had, I mean, that first touchdown for Kansas was the craziest thing of the year almost. It was also really cool. Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, yeah, crazy in a good way, but it's so, like, really? And in some ways, if you're Texas in the past, you've allowed that to maybe frustrate you and fluster you and whatever else. But in this one, you don't lose any composure. You kind of stay the course, and you uh, you eventually pull away. Excuse me, you eventually pull away with a really big win. So I like that from uh, like that from Texas. Not only because of the the funkiness of everything, but we would all consider Kansas a much better coach team now than maybe we would have a few years ago. So to have a scare from a well-coached team that's playing with their backs up against the wall with their number one guy out, the new guys coming in, slinging it around, you find a way to to ready yourself and take advantage of uh, the talent difference. So kudos to Texas. Um, Tennessee got payback on... South Carolina, obviously, that was a real big win for uh, the uh, the Gamecocks last year, and the Volunteers able to to come through with a really big win this weekend over South Carolina. Uh, I thought that that was, you know, I think things for Joe Milton aren't going off the charts like most people thought that they would, or at least some of it's not as explosive as it was last year but I think maybe Joe Milton's settling in maybe this offense is settling in a little bit more I know he had two interceptions in this game particularly but it seems as though the rest of the offense is coming around 238 yards on the ground six Mm -hmm. yards a carry a really nice night to do a lot of things uh well for Tennessee so kudos to them for kind of getting a little bit of payback here. Rattler wasn't great. His his definitely yep. his worst game of the season. He had an interception, only 169 yards. Did you hear what he said after the game, though? He called it Tennessee's Super Bowl. Who who said that? Rattler said, well, it, uh, you know, kudos to them or, you know, credit to them. It was their Super Bowl. Something along those lines. I'm paraphrasing. I mean, so that, yeah. I, I mean. Kind of. Kind of like, eh, just kind of lose, a, just take the loss. Yeah, man. I, I mean, I just, I, but I, but also, I, 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 I'm gonna be a defender for Spencer Rattler this year, just because I am watching these games and I'm seeing how badly beaten 
he is getting hit every freaking play. There, I, I swear, Spencer, it feels like there's never a play he's not getting hit. And, like, that's on that's on Beamer. And mm-hmm. I hope someone holds him accountable for, to that in the offseason. Because Spencer Rattler is having a payday year. And, I, and I've already said this. He is probably the best quarterback in the SEC right now. But he has got zero help on the offensive line. I want to ask you, I didn't, we didn't talk about breaking this game down, but I do want to ask you a question, Spencer, because I I agree with you that Tennessee does seem to be finding its form, but because like last year, what made them so dynamic was they could run and they could pass. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But that, but that running came heavily from Hinton Hooker constantly being a threat to run, especially on those RPOs. Joe Milton is not that. Do you think? Do you, you know they they get a week off and they and then they they got A and M coming to town and like the next three games after this bye week is crucial for Tennessee because they have A yep. and M at Bama at Kentucky. Oh, I oh, think, wow. and then and then and then at Missouri before, yep. but the week before Georgia. I I just want to ask you like, do you think this is sustainable? Or do you think that this kind of one-dimensional type offense relying so heavily on running back rushing yards could come back to bite them? I think they need Milton to be a better passer more than they need him to be a runner. Okay. I think he had a run. He had some 90-plus yard run at at one point. They're not asking him to run like they – they're not asking him to run. They only asked him to run two times in this ball game. And they definitely went with Wright and Small as well as uh, Dylan Sampson a lot more uh, in this ball game, and those were the feature guys, 5.4 yards a carry or better for all three of them. So they're definitely leaning. I, I'm not. I'm not trying they, to say. They I'm not trying to say they suck. A better thrower. I, I, okay, I'm not saying trying to say they suck or anything. I'm right, just. Sure. I'm, I'm just looking at the fact like he did throw two interceptions. One of them was horrible, and. You know, he was at home. He's only averaging 7.5 yards of completion, right. and he's not running. So, like, it it just seems – and it just and the only reason – like, if this was any other type of offense, I don't know if I'd be asking these questions, but because we know what kind of offense they want to run, I'm not afraid – like, and I'm, I'm speaking of this as just a universal defensive coordinator for a good team. I am not – I'm not terrified of this offense like I was last year. I mean, you know, no, and I and, don't and also think you them have losing, to be. them losing Brew McCoy probably for the year hurts badly. Yeah. Yeah. No, I don't think you have to be afraid okay. of this yeah, yeah. Tennessee yeah, offense. Yeah. It just feels like they're settling in, at least from the ground game standpoint, Milton, obviously with the two interceptions, that's obviously not going to go very far. Uh, so settling in, you know, with the ground game is, yeah. um, defense looks, defense is looking decent too, man. I, I got to give credit there too. Yeah, they, they capitalized on on South Carolina. They got six sacks, so um, they took advantage of that matchup and and won it and um, won the ball game. Uh, Oregon State and Kentucky with two really big sledgehammers over the head of uh, of their opponents. Oregon State busted up Utah on Friday night, mm, so and then Kentucky handles Florida in the twelve o'clock window on Saturday. Kentucky's running back had 206 yards at the halftime mark 
141 mm. yards in the first quarter, 280 to finish the ball game. He was excellent. The big blue wall hopefully is back for Kentucky. And um, hopefully a guy like um, Devin Leary can figure that out. They, they can start to take advantage of him, or excuse me, they can start to take advantage of how effective they are at running the football again because Devin Leary's 9 of 20 against Florida. That's so bad. It's it's his worst game of the season, only 69 yards. He did throw a touchdown, but something's got to change here because Devin Leary was supposed to be kind of the, in my opinion, he was supposed to be the piece of the puzzle that brought this young receiver group together, and he's missing. He's missing. I mean, 9 of 20 sounds bad, but then you watch it and you're like, wow, that's a bad miss. There's a well, touchdown also, that he missed early on. Spencer, also, like, it's 9 of 19, but he's only averaging 3.6 yards of completion. Like, he only got 69 yards passing. Right, yeah, That for sure. That, I mean, while, yes, you know, they had their running back go off for 200 yards on him, like, being one-dimensional in the SEC ain't going to cut it. No, for sure. And that's what I'm getting at. Yeah, Devin yeah. Leary's supposed to be the better, you know, we he's supposed he to be the be better. Piece. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That opens this offense up a little bit, and it's just not been the case. So, is it fixable? You think? Like we talked about, I don't Georgia know. The, the way he's we missing about Georgia it. being fixable, you know, only four receivers caught a ball. Yeah. If, if, you know, he's missing stuff, I think it was on the same possession. He missed a little underneath throw that needed to be on the numbers, and he put it, you know, up and left. And then he throws a nice ball into the back of the end zone, and the receiver drops it, uh, which they, I think they had one or two drops on the day as well, at least. So it's not just Leary, and no, it might not be fixable. I mean, if guys can't play, then they just can't play. And maybe Devin Leary's pressing too much uh, because he's struggling and he knows he needs to do better. I don't know, but it's um, it might be fixable, but at this point it seems like you got a lot of potholes to fill do you, is there enough time to fill them all? Do you have enough concrete to fill it? Yeah. Okay. All right. And then um, I thought uh, Milrow for Alabama and their win over uh, Mississippi State. Obviously not a great Mississippi State team. Will Rogers had three interceptions, so they haven't figured out that throw game with him yet, even though they've had a couple of moments there. But I thought that Jalen Milrow, the quarterback there, because we had so many discussions about how bad that position was playing, he felt a lot more comfortable in this game. Uh, he felt a lot more decisive in this game. He was 10 of 12 for 164 yards, and that's obviously very explosive and very efficient. You're obviously not asking him to throw the ball very much, but either yeah. way, he's doing a, he's doing good things with the with what they're asking him to do. And then also, Robbie felt much more decisive as a runner. Felt like against Texas, you watched him get out there and you thought, take off, go. And then he'd stutter step a little too long and the, the window would close and whatever else. There's a couple of uh, there's a couple of plays here where he he looks, he's looking, he's scanning the field, and then he goes. And just that decisiveness can go a long way, especially when you're as talented as he is. So I feel like uh, Alabama starting to settle in a little bit, uh, at least from the quarterback position. They're starting to settle in a little bit, and um, that can only be good things for uh, for Alabama. Maybe they found a, a quarterback in Amari or a wide receiver in Amari Nyblack, who had three catches for 61 yards. Maybe that'll go a long way for Maybe. the Tide. 
Yeah, I just, uh, you know, uh, also um, sophomore for him. Uh, uh, he's not a redshirt sophomore. He's a sophomore. Um, tight end for them, Nye Black. Uh, really, it was really impressive to see him at times. It was also impressive, you know, just to see balance with the, with, with what they were doing with Jalen Milrow. You know, he throws for one. He only throws for one sixty four, but he was ten of twelve, like you said. Uh, the 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 thing that I just want to make mention, just because you, you got to do this with all these top tier teams, they're still giving up. Yep. Plenty of sacks and, and 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 I say tons because just that's you don't see this a lot with elite teams. Gave up four sacks and seven tackles for loss, Spencer. Yep. Like that. The, the, that, yeah, no, it's not all fixed for sure. Yeah, that that is, but no, all, all the credit going on the road. God, the, I, I I was telling Lisa while we were watching this game, and my dad, who was here, uh, um, there are there are there are stadiums that I want to go to that I've been to. Like I've enjoyed, I've been to the Plains before. I've been I've been all over, you know, to a lot of places in the SEC. I never want to go to Mississippi State. I have no desire. Oh, to sit, sit with the cowbell? Yeah, I have no desire to sit and, and like I'm almost getting a headache just listening to the commentary on the game. Um, yeah. but you know, give them credit for walking in and handling business like they did, which was really, really, honestly, really impressive. But again, I am just I I am next next week <laughs> they play A and M, who's got possibly the best, if not the second best, defensive line that Bama will have played all year. And I cannot wait to see them go against this offensive line for Alabama, who seems to still have holes. So, and then the uh, the Baylor comeback win over UCF was pretty impressive. Obviously, the scramble play. Did you get a chance to see the scramble play for the quarterback where he goes all the way back into the end zone and yep. ends up completing the pass? Nuts! So nuts! Yeah, there Absolutely. were a lot of there were a lot of crazy plays like that. By the way, yesterday. Keep going. I'm sorry. No, I was just going to finish that up that, it, you know, I think uh, Baylor or uh, UCF had a lead of 35 to 7 at one point in this game. In the third quarter, with eight minutes remaining in the third quarter, they took a 35 to 7 lead. And then uh, BYU kicks, a, or excuse me, Baylor kicks a field goal. And then they score a touchdown and get the two points. And then they score another, a five yard touchdown pass uh, from uh, Blake Shapin. And you just think to yourself, here, here they come, twenty six thirty five. It's a completely looking different looking ball game, and then they set themselves up. Um, you know that, and that was a part of a game winning drive there. I believe that that play helps to ignite for uh, for Baylor to go and kick the the game winning field goal from what was that twenty five yards out, thirty six thirty five. Good for Dave Aranda. Yeah, he needed some breathing room for sure because. I'm, I'm gonna tell you there there's some team there's some I there's some coaches that I think are about to be gone. <laughs> this like we were just talking about them a second ago. I, I would not be surprised if Mississippi State doesn't clear house after this season. Just because the whole reason why they kept the staff they did was because of the consistency and how many seniors they had returning. They they wanted to take advantage of this year and did not be able to do that. I could just I I just see some firings coming over the course of the offseason. But yeah, and, and even more so, what's so eye opening there is consistency, 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 consistency for Mississippi State. The, all this stuff for consistency, and then the head coach changes the offense. But ironic, isn't it? Yeah. Isn't it ironic? Yeah. All right. Um, <laughs> Elena, um, that does it for me. That's my notebook. Do you got anything else you wanted to add? No. Th- this weekend, 
Oh, Louisville's five and zero. That was the last thing I wanted to add. Okay. Louisville is five and zero. Yep. You know who also like? Yes, th- there are some teams that are undefeated that you're just like, what? Yeah. Like Wazoo. Yeah, Georgia's five and zero. What? Yeah. Jeez, <laughs> those bums. Uh, Wazoo's undefeated. North Carolina's undefeated. Uh, Louisville's undefeated. Missouri Kentucky. is undefeated in Kentucky. It's gonna be man. Th- this weekend is huge, Spencer. I cannot wait for the, our, our. I cannot wait for our preview pod this week. Be sure to like, rate, review, and subscribe to friends. One love, and that is college football. We'll catch you on the flip flop later.